Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast, episode number 55. We are into October. September is my favorite month, but October is a close second for me. And we have the NBA Finals, the MLB Playoffs, and the NFL regular season uh, existing simultaneously, which is fucking weird. But it's cool at the same time. Uh, we're coming up on seven months of COVID in the mainstream of U.S. society. And global, a little bit longer than that globally, obviously. Um, and I'm recording this exactly a month removed from the 2020 presidential election. Now, in a moment that should give even the most staunch atheist a modicum of faith in God, the universe, a higher power, what have you, and specifically the concept of karma, Donald Trump, Melania Trump, Kellyanne Conway, Senator Rob Johnson, Trump's campaign advisor, Hope Hicks, Chris Christie, all tested positive for COVID-19. And when did this happen, potentially? As these buffoons sat around maskless, announcing the passing of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the intent to fill her open Supreme Court seat. Unbelievable. Karma is a bitch. Now, I have shared in previous episodes, I make it known in my trailer, I'm in recovery. And for anybody who knows anything about addiction or compulsion recovery, the solution is rooted in spirituality. Now, if you want to share a bourbon in my backyard and genuinely want to learn about my experience in the wee hours of an evening and not as a matter of gossip, I will indulge you. Eventually on my podcast, I will share more details here, but I digress. My point is that I'm a spiritual guy and as a framework, I pray for those who I resent. Literally, many of you might know that this is a known concept and not some cliche. That it's not some trite shit. It actually has worked for me. If you hate somebody's guts, try it. Pray for them and watch what happens. But in the case of Trump and his cronies, I just can't do it. I can't. I can't. He may recover from this. He may die. I am not here to speculate his health. But I will genuinely say that I wish him the fucking worst. This is a man who has no compassion for anybody but himself who's cost tens of thousands of Americans their lives as it relates to COVID and has done countless other reprehensible things to citizens so I am not going to sit here and cry for Donald Trump now Those of you who think this is manufactured, that makes no sense. He's trailing by anywhere between six to eight points nationally in this race to Biden with a month out. You know, should he try to throw a few Hail Marys? Sure. But even he is not stupid enough to think that those who are anywhere close to the center or left would give him any sympathy points to tip the scales and 
you know, do this at the expense of his showmanship and rallies and other bullshit down the stretch of his re-election bit. Fuck him. I just can't say anything nice about him at all. I didn't wish this upon him. Maybe subconsciously I did. Maybe I uttered it at some point. But I certainly am not hoping for a speedy recovery from him. So coming up on today's episode, some quick thoughts on the debate between him and Joe Biden, the first presidential debate that happened on September 29th. I'll give you an anecdote about moving and then takes of all temperatures. Totes, as always, baby. And at the very end of the show, NFL storylines and my picks against the spread. The award-winning segment, ham, hot, sharp, butter knife picks. So buckle up, episode 55. Here we go. So by the time many of you hear this, the Mike Pence and Kamala Harris debate might have already happened. So I'll quickly run through this one. So a few thoughts on on the debate here. Now I heard some stuff, you know, in or, or I read some stuff on my social media, um, from friends and on on social media, um, people just I was texting with, oh, it was a shit show, or oh, I couldn't watch, I had to turn it off. Um, and listen, if your reason is directly attributable to Donald J. Trump, fine. But and you know, I get the impulse to be disgusted by the spectacle of the debate. But that's part of the authoritarian playbook, to make ordinary people lose faith in the system so that it's easier to, for them to seize power. You know, at the end of the day, he doesn't need your support, Donald Trump. He needs your disillusionment. So let's not equalize Trump and Biden, all right? Biden is old. He sometimes throws out cheesy, rehearsed one-liners and at times stumbles over his words. But he's a man who actually has integrity, cares about other people other than himself. And the alternative is Trump, who is a fucking narcissist, petulant sociopath. If two people are playing each other in basketball and one opponent is trying to win legitimately, while the other is not respecting rules, pinching, scratching, biting, and shitting all over the floor, the game was a shit show attributable to one of the participants, not both. If you had to get on a plane to go transatlantic across the country, and you had two pilots, and your option was get the hell out of wherever you were and get to where you needed to be, or stay there, you would pick in that your choices were the barista, Or a pilot who might not have been perfect, but has a, you have a, some faith that they can actually fly you over the, the ocean or, or over the mountains through a storm safely. Do, do not equalize Trump and Joe Biden. Now, Trump and often many people in outlets, um, you know, one, one of the other things that, from, that I noticed from the debate, all right, Trump and, and often many other people and and propaganda outlets who follow him use narrative-based arguments rather than facts. Oh, Biden is part of the far left and has dementia. Oh, socialists are are going to crumble society. Oh, this election, there's there's election fraud. You can't trust mail-in ballots. Oh, Democrats are lazy. It's all a crock of shit. 
where you actually provide fact-based counters and they got nothing. Trump did this throughout the debate, spewing lie after lie and clinging on to narratives about defunding the police, often in the face of direct debunking by Biden. So Trump used a ton of narrative-based arguments rather than actual facts. And then the third thing from the debate that I took away, the white supremacist dog whistles are frightening. Frightening. Fucking Halloween's coming up. Scary shit. All right? Scarier than any any costume or haunted house or haunted hayride. With this election, nobody on the right or left should worry about their day-to-day really changing into Nazi Germany or, or communist China. But it's the slow erosion of safety via regressive policies and emboldening fringe white nationalists that should scare the shit out of everybody. Right, especially people of color, like myself. Now, the white supremacy fears are clear and present, and they're supported by U.S. intelligence. Unlike this whole straw man Antifa and these dangerous rioters and looters arguments, who, by the way, I've never seen donning Joe Biden flags. You know, Trump says he will denounce white nationalists during the debate, and when prompted to pick a group which I think Biden selected as the Proud Boys, the neo-Nazi Proud Boys, he said to them, stand back and stand by. I mean, how the fuck can that be anything but incendiary? Go look at the reaction by them on social media. One guy literally said he had the chills. All right? It's absolutely, absolutely terrifying. So in summary, I think Biden won the debate. Data points that across the political spectrum, across a number of polls, with, and with Trump and COVID now, it'll be very interesting to see if debates two and three even happen. But to use the sports metaphor, the baseball team that's down five runs needs the bottom of the eighth and the bottom of the ninth innings to win the game. Let's not forget that. They can't just shrug off after the, sh- the seventh inning stretch. That's Trump. All right? He needs the debates more than Biden does. So, uh, our personal moving nightmare story next. So, since the age of 17, nearly 18, when I moved out of my parents' house down to Emory University in Atlanta, I have personally moved into 18 different residences in a 22-year period. Now, my wife and I have been in a dozen different places since we started dating back in 2007, 13 and a half years ago. Now, as I I stated a few episodes ago, we have closed on our first home in our dream town. We're really excited about it. It's a great community right on the water. It's a quaint town with progressive-minded people largely that fit our demographic. Now, our house is in a great neighborhood, but it's built in 1896 and is a bit of a fixer-upper for sure. It's one we're going to have to invest in over the years to get exactly how we want. However, right now, the reason why you might be like, why is he talking so low? Well, I'm recording this episode from our neighbor's two-bedroom cottage with Jenna sleep and Eloise and Emmy asleep. 
um, since we botched the timing of transitioning out of our place and underestimated the construction footprint and timing to live comfortably. So I'm literally in like a like the area, an entranceway between the front door of their cottage and like I guess it's like a like a mudroom type area. So uh, the Chris Ham podcast is portable, can 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 be adaptable. All right, that's the bottom line here. But I'm crossing my fingers that by next week. When I record my ham hot butter knife picks against the spread for week five, it will be from the comfort of our home. Now, before I, I bitch about our awful, reprehensible moving experience, I want to highlight a few key thoughts on, on home buying and renovations. Now, for those of you who don't own a home yet, I didn't realize this, Jen didn't realize this either. You really don't breathe until you actually close and get your keys. You know, accepted offer, in contract, a successful appraisal, and mortgage approval are just little wins and milestones along the way. I mean, the whole experience Jen and I have both said is like pregnancy, down to the way that you share it with, with people. You know, it's sort of like the barbell effect where you tell early on. Um, you know, you tell your most inner circle of people in your life, uh, given the intimate relationships, friends, family, whatnot. Um, only close friends, really only close family. Um, but also the, the random bank teller, barista, um, person you're sitting with in a waiting room might hear as well. It's very similar to, to the home buying process, you know, where there's minim- minimal embarrassment if the whole thing blows up. So it's kind of a barbell effect. That's number one. Number two, our contractor is fantastic, but take what your original quote is and tack on 20% more. It's just the nature of the beast. And as far as time goes, you could tack that on the same way as well. If he tells you it's going to take two weeks, tack on a few extra days. Now, the third thing, you know, one or two of the guys under our contractor, our contractor and his guys, his crew, in general are great. But as I try to be nice to, to one or two of these guys, um, you know, a couple of them are just kind of pricks to me. You know, getting annoyed if I'm like going in or out of the house to get my own stuff, to get my own stuff as, as I'm trying to be considerate and, uh, you know, navigate around them. I mean, one person on this crew has literally gone through all of my soda in like a, a few days in a fridge that clearly was, was my own personal property. But uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a, like a pain in the ass by complaining about that. So that, that was just the third observation and just interesting, the, the whole relationship with people in your house. Um, and then four, you know, as, as our friend KC put things, even in the best of circumstances, a move is one of the hardest things you do in life. Now, I want to have Jen on in, in a coming episode to talk about this in more detail. But as far as our move, it was an absolute nightmare. Our movers sucked. All right, we paid extra to have them pack up uh, a few days before the move to help us because then we have full-time jobs and two kids, just a lot going on with that with the house. Um, but what they did is they generated three times the amount of boxes because they took pounds and pounds of tissue paper and threw random shit into boxes with minimal rhyme or reason. Just a nightmare. And the gradual unpacking we had to do has highlighted this. Now, we would be in a construction zone even with the best move, but the box volume would have been have lowered the stress now. And, um, you know, this move to move out of a three-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment with two adults, um, a preschooler, and a baby. I mean, it took these clowns the other day seven hours to load the truck and head to our, our house. Seven hours in the load zone. 
know, after 90 minutes in of moving a handful of the boxes to the truck, the lead guy said, hey, we're going to take five, boss. And they take fucking 20 with a cigarette break, yucking it up. I mean, give me a fucking break. All right, that was the start of it. Now, given we, we are moving veterans, Shannon and I, given how many moves we've had, when it was 2 p.m. and there was still tons of shit on the walls and intact at our place, I called Jen, who went from like zero to 100 as far as anger with when I told her the pace of the move, and that just only ignited me even further. I mean, it got so bad. I threw my iced coffee on the ground. I got, you know, I yelled at a couple of the guys. Um, you know, told them I had that, like, how my kid's going to go to sleep. And I made amends to them later. Uh, I wasn't at my best, but I was so pissed. We called the owner's wife, uh, who flipped out on them so loudly I could hear it over over the other end of the phone. And, um, you know, even with the owner coming later in the day with three reinforcements to our house, they still didn't finish until after 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m. So we're talking about close to an 11-hour move that was incomplete. And this is happening as my parents, who were kind enough to watch our kids, brought our overtired, hungry daughters back to try to eat and pass out. Elvis didn't go to sleep till 11 o'clock that night. You know, I'm in the process of disputing the charges as the feeling of pissed off not only hasn't left my body, but it's actually grown. So stay tuned there. What a disaster. You know, but as far as new, new houses go, I mean, a week or so in, it seems like we hit the jackpot with neighbors, the ones who were kind enough to offer their uh, guest house to us to stay while we're under construction. Even the, the neighbors on the other side already got us a care package, a little bit older than us, uh, kids that are kind of tween to teenage, um, really nice people, cool people, uh, and then just a whole, a whole host of young families down the block we've already had an opportunity to met. So really grateful overall. I don't want this terrible move to um, overshadow that. So uh, takes of all temperatures next. Tote number one, Westchester pizza is superior to Long Island pizza. Listen, I know people from the Northeast and New York say pizza and bagels are much better than other parts of the country. And by and large, that's true. Wherever you are, any borough, any surrounding county in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, just has great pizza and bagels. But I think as far as when you're comparing Westchester, where I live now, and to Long Island, where I grew up, bagels are a draw, even with a slight edge going to Long Island. But pizza is superior here in Westchester. I mean, Long Island in general is just filled with these solid New York kind of corner pie shops, uh, which have, you know, a place in a good pizza region, but they really lack the culinary creativity of Westchester and Southern Connecticut, for that matter, by failing to offer things like different crusts, unique sauces as far as like the, the flavor of, of the tomato sauce, topping tweaks, or things like hot oil on pizza. So my tote number one is Westchester pizza is superior to Long Island pizza. Tote number two. So I've given my wife Jen crap for this before, but she often, I think this comes from, from her family, doesn't put spoons in a standard, I'm sorry, doesn't put knives in a standard place setting. There's, there's literally like probably a quarter to half of the meals that, that she's preparing and setting at the table where she just throws in a fork. Listen, if I'm having gnocchi, that's all I, I, I guess I, all I need is a fork or mac and cheese, but every other meal, I, I need a knife, man. I don't know. I just need it. And she's going she's gonna to get mad at me for saying this, but 
I don't know. Am I like in the minority here? I, I I think you need fork knife with every single table setting. A spoon, depending if you have soup or something that, that calls for it. But you need a fork and a knife every time. Tote number three. You got to put last names and phone contacts when you're adding them. I'm not, this sounds like I'm picking on Jen. What, what she does, she'll just add people by their first name. And when you have somebody who has a common first name, she'll think somebody else is texting her but it's it's the wrong person. Or she'll go to text somebody and be confused which number it is. Why have the mystery? When you have an iPhone, you could put in first name, you could put in last name, you could put in company, notes, whatever you need to, to be able to identify that person. So you gotta put last names in when you're adding phones to your phone book. You know, if it's like a Mike or a Brian or a Christine, like there's more than one you're gonna meet, unless it's a very unique name or if it's somebody in your immediate family or close group of friends you don't have to put the full name but even then i, I find myself i'd say 95 percent of my phone contacts first and last name tote number four there's very few douchey driving moves than if somebody is facing you in traffic and there's no left turn arrow and they make a left turn in front of your car as the lead car it's just such a douche selfish entitled move that you can't wait for cars to pass for the next yellow cycle, which is probably going to be an extra 45 to 75 seconds to make the left turn. It just shows, I always say this before, driving is such a glimpse into somebody's character, their, their flaws, their, their shortcomings, their positive qualities. It all comes out in driving. And it's a douche move if you're making a left turn in front of another car without an arrow before that car and the other cars pass. Tote number five. When parents hit 60, they do weird shit in the name of good intentions. So I mentioned before my parents are involved with this whole census thing. I think I did. But one of the things that they're doing, I mean, they've been volunteering for the census. It's a very admirable thing. I mentioned their Zoom calls that they have. But as far as the census goes... One of the things that they have to do is called, I think, enumerate homeless people. Is there a more ridiculous task out there than that? I mean, they literally have to go to woods and bridges for people that don't live in homes to count them for the census. I mean, wow, what just, I mean, just bad shit to me. And there's all these different, like, backup things that they have to call police departments potentially. I mean, you're dealing with not necessarily the, um, you know, I, I, I hate, and, and apparently they say it's, you have to call them people that are experiencing homelessness rather than homeless people or bums, as people would, would call them in a less kind manner. But I mean, just, just if I'm doing this in 30 years, man, please, just somebody, I hope, I hope one of my kids uh, just, just talks me out of it. Admirable, but, but come on. All right, so NFL quickly. So, so I think there's a few big storylines going into to week four of the NFL. So the first thing is COVID. We now had Cam Newton test positive. That game's being suspended against the Chiefs. So the Patriots and Chiefs will not be playing. And then uh, several Tennessee Titan players tested positive. So they will not be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. So COVID has had, it, it, it took almost a month, but COVID has now had an effect on the NFL season. Um, let's hope that 
the NFL could weather the storm and these games could all continue to be played, especially as we go to the cold weather months. So that's storyline number one. Number two, New York football is a disaster. The Jets and Giants combined right now are 0-7. Giants are double-digit dogs tomorrow uh, or with this coming slate of games. So they're potentially going to be 0-8 combined. I mean, just a disaster. I cannot remember. The Jets have been putrid as a franchise, have had periods of success, but have been putrid mainly from um, you know different points in the 80s and the early 90s. And, and the Giants have had to run the last decade of being bad. But them being both this bad together, I think this is unprecedented. So as a New Yorker, that's story number two. I mean, my miserable football team and my brilliant owner, uh, ownership brother duo of, of keeping at, uh, uh, the, the Johnsons just deciding to keep Adam Gase, who is a disgrace as a coach. He doesn't even belong as an offensive coordinator in this league. Darnold's being ruined. I mean, we're, we're headed for Trevor Lawrence, and he, his ass should better be fired. So that's number two. Uh, and number three... Um, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he's he's in a different class than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, he's flashy. He you know has the ability to throw. He can run, but he just doesn't have the precision and the elite from the pocket quarterback being able to to operate under any circumstance and, and playing condition as Patrick Mahomes, who's now you know MVP, Super Bowl MVP, and um, Super Bowl champion. So um, Mahomes and Lamar uh, are on a different level, and another person on the same level, I think, is. As Mahomes is Russell Wilson. I mean, what a year he's having. Let Russ cook. Never gets the credit he deserves. I don't know if it's if it's uh, if he's a quarterback of color, if it's his height, uh, being around the same height as me, five ten and a half, five ten and three quarters. I mean, the fact that he is uh, puts up the numbers that he does, doesn't throw interceptions, gets his team to the playoffs every year, and and like it seems that all these pundits just pick the Seahawks to be like five hundred below five hundred. I mean, Russell Wilson hasn't had a losing record. Um, since he's been in the league. So pretty incredible stuff, Russell Wilson. So coming up next, uh, the ham hot butter knife picks. Um, I didn't record last week, but you saw I posted on Twitter. Um, I went one and two. So I went, I went, you know, two and one, one and two, one and two. So I'm four and five now on the season. Um, not great. Not awful. I still have plenty of time to pick it up. Uh, lost last week with Houston at Pittsburgh. Houston was winning most of the game. Uh, got crushed with Denver hosting Tampa Bay, and I won with Minnesota, who was covering the, and winning most of the game against Tennessee, and they lost, but they still covered. So one and two last week. So uh, without further ado, week four, ham, hot, butter knife picks. Here we go. Okay, let's go to Tampa Bay, where the L.A. Chargers are getting a touchdown against the very popular Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's talk uh, movement. So this line opened up at, at LA Chargers plus four and a half. It got, has gone on to plus seven. Listen, I think the Chargers are a team that are going to play tight games. They generally don't come into games getting their ass kicked, but they also don't blow out teams. So I expect a close contest down in Tampa. I wouldn't be surprised if they won. Tampa does not have a big home field advantage. Um, they're a good team. They're talented, but I think these teams are, are way closer to even than the, than the line indicates. So uh, pick number one, give me the Chargers, plus seven. Pick number two. Let's go to Washington, where week four, I can't remember a home, home dog like this. Uh, the Washington football team is getting 14 hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Now listen, I know the Ravens are one of the best teams in Washington. Uh, at least last year was, was one of the worst teams in the league. But Washington, I know Haskins is not great. 
Uh, Ron Rivera, that was a hell of a coach. The roster is solid. Um, they had a bad showing the last uh, couple weeks after upsetting the Eagles in week one. Um, I do expect them to keep this game close. I do not think they're going to go and, and beat the Ravens. I know there's no crowd, but they are at home. There's not a lot of travel for either team here. Um, but, but, but plus 14 is just ridiculous. So um, I like Washington here, plus 14, hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Pick number two. Finally, let's go out to San Francisco where the San Francisco 49ers are getting over a touchdown, or are giving over a touchdown against the Philadelphia Eagles. Listen, I know the Eagles are, are winless. They're 0-2-1. They had that terrible tie last week. Wentz has been awful. Um, but this is too good of a team, too well coached of a team to be getting this many points which um, uh, at, at San Francisco. San Francisco, uh, you know, again, a very solid team. But I don't even know if they're uh, one of the top two or even three teams in the division this year. I mean, that's a very competitive division. Um, so the Eagles, again, I know have been down. I expect them. They're going to be playing desperate. They're going to want their first win. They're not going to want to be winless uh, as, as we continue to move through October. So I like the Philadelphia Eagles plus 7.5 to at least cover, if not win the game outright at the San Francisco 49ers. Thanks for listening to the Chris Hamp Podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please rate and review me. And finally, please follow me on Twitter, at Chris N. Hamm. Your support and feedback are incredibly valuable. Tell your friends, family, colleagues, spread the word. Take it easy, friends.